sure how to do that transition so uh, but God is good so I've been thinking about this weekend pondering it for a while you know pastor Ken's gone it's the first series that we're going to enter into um, and you know it's one of those things that just comes a lot faster than you think right uh, but here we're gonna be found in God's Word so if you need a Bible shoot your hand up the ushers will get you a Bible and when you get there turn to Exodus let me pray over us real quick while you're getting those Bibles. Father God, we love you. We trust that your word will not come back void as you promised. And so that we step into that and ask that you would change our lives, whether it be subtle or in profound ways. Father, have your way with us now by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, shoot your hands up if you need a Bible. So as I was thinking about this series, what is the first series that we're going to enter and we're going to step in together as a church? And I was praying, God brought me to just to look at our area, you know, the greater Seattle area. And I found out we have a title, a title I didn't know we had. We are called in the Pacific Northwest, the unchurched belt. Okay. Now you have the Bible belt down south. You have the sun belt in California in the southern part of the U.S., over by Ohio, you have the snow belt, and in the Pacific Northwest, guess what, you, guess what you have? The unchurched belt. And they call us that because of regions, this is the most unchurched region in the entire United States. A couple cities are kind of up high there, but this region is the fewest number of people attend church. And if that's not depressing enough, the news gets worse. I kept reading. And I found out that only 33% of people in the greater Seattle area, that's Everett too, profess to be Christian. That's almost 70% of people do not know Jesus, aren't followers of Jesus. 70%. Yes, I use the word depressing. That's where I like, oh, that's tough. Ouch. The city is lost. You can never do something here, Lord. It, the change just seems impossible. It seems unlikely. Unlikely that you would move in the hearts of this region and do a great work. But then God brought me to remember Jesus' mission. He gave it in Luke 19.10. And this is right after Jesus um, was with a tax collector, Zacchaeus. I would sing the little song, but every time I do it at home, my wife says, don't sing the song. So I won't sing the song, okay? Um, but then he goes into his house, and the religious people there are kind of, you know, you know, kind of complaining to him, like, I can't believe you did that. And Jesus walked out, and he gave his mission. 
He said, for the Son of Man, which is the name for Jesus, the Son of Man came in to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost is Jesus' mission. So what I love about this is we look at our unlikely environment, okay, of a city that feels lost, that we have a Savior that seeks that out, that he pursues it, he steps into it. If you look at all the deities around the world, we have the unique God, the only God, that actually pursues us. Most other deities, it's, it's trying to find enlightenment. So you got to work at it. you got to get to the right space, right place, and you might, you know, get to that place of enlightenment. Or you have to work so hard and do enough things, and you hope that you've done enough to appease this God so that he would let you into the afterlife. Not with us as Christians. Our Savior, our God, pursues us. In a beautiful, wonderful way, he hunts us down. He's looking in those lost places to come find us and to save us. But it's really important when you look at lost. Like, what does that even mean? Because it sounds like it's a derogatory term, right? And, no, and, and that's looking at it the wrong way. Think of his parents, okay? When you've lost your child, we did that in a mall one time, okay, confession. Um, and it wasn't when I... She was lost, Sydney, our oldest daughter. That phrase lost wasn't so much about her and where she was at and what she was doing, hiding in a clothes rack, okay, um, <laughs> laughing. Um, uh, but it was more about the relationship. It was more about me and what I felt for her. I loved her. And I longed for her to be found and be in the relationship with me to be where it was safe and secure and I could guide her because it was scary out there and I didn't know what was going to happen to her. It wasn't, I wasn't mad at her. I didn't call her lost because I was mad. I called her lost because she wasn't found with me and I loved her with everything I was and I wanted to protect her. That's what the Savior does. That's the lost, okay? We look at our city with dignity and respect and honor them knowing that they are lost and that just means that they need to be found in this wonderful, loving relationship with Jesus Christ because he is wild about them. He is jealous for them. They are the apple of his eye. So how is he going to do that? Here's where you come in and I come in. That he sends us in. Ambassadors of love. Witnesses. Examples of God's love. He sends us into that. He says, I'm going to seek and save the lost. And John 20, 21 says this. As the Father sent me, Jesus said, so I send you. So I send you to go in just like me into that place that is, quote, quote, lost to bring love, to point to Jesus, to care for these people, for their very, very souls. Out of respect, dignity, and honor because they need to be found by their Savior, Jesus, who loves them. And so that's why we call this series unlikely. It seems very unlikely, improbable, um, that God would do a movement in, the, in Seattle. 70% do not know Jesus. But guess what Jesus does is he grabs unlikely people and he calls them these ordinary common us to go be part of his extraordinary work. And that's what God has called us into, North Shore to be part of his powerful, powerful work. 
seems really unlikely. So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at some unlikely characters in scriptures. And my prayer and hope for you, as you see these great, amazing, extraordinary works of God and how he uses common, ordinary, unlikely people, that we might glean some wisdom, some inspiration, some encouragement, and maybe step into who God has us to be, okay? So turn to Exodus chapter 2. Uh-oh. There it is. And we're going to look at Moses, the deliverer, the deliverer of the people of Israel or the Hebrew people or Jews. And you'll hear me use those phrases. It's all the same people. Because here they're in Egypt and they've been there for hundreds of years. And now they're in captivity uh, and they're enslaved. And life is tough. And God is going to take some, uh, an unlikely person by the name of Moses and take him to deliver them. Okay. Exodus 2, 1 through 3. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. He's Jewish, they are. <clears throat> the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitmen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed him among the reeds by the riverbank. And this is the Nile River in Egypt. Okay, so what we see here is a broken past for Moses. A broken past. So what, uh, a little history here, what's going on here? Because the mother had to hide him, okay? Why did she have to hide him? Because here's what happened. Okay, 400 years prior to this, someone named Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, went to Israel to escape a famine, okay? And he started a connection in Egypt um, that lasted 400 years. Later on, his grandson, Joseph, uh, was sent there because his brothers sold him into slavery from the land of Canaan. But God did a, an amazing work through Joseph. It's probably, a, it's definitely a message in itself, a whole series. And he rose up to the second in command in Egypt, this Jewish boy. And he, God gave him visions and dreams to help them uh, survive a, a famine in Egypt. And so Joseph had great favor in Egypt, great favor with the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And the people flourished and multiplied, and the nation grew and grew and grew. That Pharaoh died and he remembered Joseph no more. And the new king of Egypt got nervous and scared. Okay, insecure, thinking, what if they joined forces with a neighboring army and overtook us? So what they decided to do is that we're going to start putting the pressure, we're going to turn the dial up on this, their, their work, and we really just put a heavy work tax on them. And they started just putting the pressure on them. And life got unbearable for them. His insecurity grew so far that he asked a Hebrew midwife, hey, when a Hebrew boy is born, kill him. And these midwives loved the Lord and they wouldn't do it. So frustrated because they kept multiplying and growing these Hebrew people. He says, okay, for everybody, when a Hebrew boy is born, throw him in the Nile River and genocide took place. It was in that environment, that broken past, that Moses was born. His mother had him. She tried to hide him for three months. 
couldn't hide him any longer, so she made that basket and put it in the river along the bank in the reeds and had his older sister named Marion watch. And Pharaoh's daughter, king of Egypt, came to bathe and saw a basket. Opened the basket up, a baby. Older sister comes in and says, hey, what's that? It's a baby. Oh, how are you going to nurse and take care of this thing? I don't know. You want me to go get a Hebrew woman to nurse? Yeah. Well, guess who just had a baby? Yep. Uh, that baby's mother. So she went and said, Mom, come on, here we go. She actually paid the wages, so she got paid to be the mother of this child. And so Pharaoh's daughter said, hey, we take care of this baby? Great. And she took it. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter named the child Moses because he was delivered from water. And Moses' mother raised this child. And then when he was old enough and ready, back to Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court. So a very, very violent beginning for Moses. So he grew, and it says here later in chapter 2, verse 11. So Moses at this point is 40 years old. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burden. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand, killed him. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why did you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, and it was known, right? When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And that's east of Egypt, out in the desert. And there he sat down by a well. So what we see is Moses grew up, got older, and he remembered the God of his birth and childhood because he called them my people. Where do you think he got that from? I believe he got it from his mother when she was singing their traditional songs and speaking of, of their God as she nursed him and cared for him. I don't think he ever forgot who he was and whose he was. It's powerful for him. But what happened is all of a sudden he made a mistake. And we see that mistake, that, that, that flaw in his character, if you would, follow Mo Moses for years. He got angry, he got mad, and in, in impulse he, he stepped out, struck out, and killed the Egyptian. And what happened is he lost both of his communities right there. Community of Egyptian and Pharaoh's house and the community of the Hebrew people. He didn't fit anymore. Didn't belong. He made a mistake. And so he ran and he hid in the desert. And what's good is this, that in that desert, we're going to see God do something unlikely for this unlikely person. He gives him an unlikely call. Look with me here. Exodus 3. Verses 1 through 5. This unlikely calling says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. 
And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's Mount Sinai, right? Ten commandments, that whole cool scene, presence of God, that. This is where this whole burning bush thing will happen. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. So a very unlikely calling. But it's interesting, when we look at this calling a little closer, we see some interesting things. Okay, First of all, a burning bush. Okay, That's unique. What are you saying? Right? Uh, never, I've never seen it in Scripture again, but this bush burns, and God calls him in this cool, unique way. Gets his attention. The thing that's really interesting as well is, like when he calls him. Okay, Moses is 80 years old. Okay, very unlikely. He's old. He's been a shepherd for 40 years. And what it might feel like is, boy, you know, from this broken past, I'm no good. I'm useless. I'm just going to run away. I'm going to hide. I'm just going to be here. It's really not to ever be used by God again. And what he missed is this, because Moses He's been a shepherd for 40 years. And what did Moses need to lead a million people out of Egypt across the desert up to the promised land? He needs shepherding skills, good ones, ones that might take 40 years to develop, right? So what he thought was wasted time. I'm just over here. This season of my life is for nothing, for naught. I'm missing it. God was preparing him. And doing a good work in his life. So often in us, people come up to you and say, Scott, uh, this is a tough season. This is hard. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I want to be done with it. And ask question one. It's okay. Told to get it. Is God moving you? If they say yes, I say follow. End of conversation, high five, prayer, let's go. Uh, most often I hear this, no. Is he taking you out of this tough season? Is the pain still there? Is the confusion still there? Yes, yes. My next advice then is then dig deep. Dig deep. There's something about this season preparing you for the next season. Do you think in year 20 Moses had any idea he would lead a million people out of Egypt? Nope. But he need 20 more years to develop his skill. So don't miss the moments and the seasons that God has for you. Because he's doing a good work and he's preparing you for the next season to come. So keep digging. The next thing is who he calls. We already looked at this. Is, is Moses was broken. He made a mistake. He had a past. He said he murdered somebody. Later to find out that that was against the commandments of God. He did that. Um, and so he says, I am just shelved, and that's who I am. That's my identity. But God had a different word. It's called grace. See, Moses let grace, or excuse me, his mistake define him. 
versus the grace that God had for him to say, I can use you. I can do a great work in your life. And so often for us, we allow uh, our mistakes, the lowest point of our lives, to be what define us for the rest of our lives. And that's not of God at all. Because he's a God that's redeeming and making old things new. And I love this section as you look at that as well, is where did God call him? He called him at his job, right? He's at his job working away, taking these sheep around, doing all that stuff, and boom, almighty God calls him into something. So often here are people, I, I'm waiting for the clouds to part and a sunbeam to come down and, 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 you know, love a dove to come down. And I mean, God to speak, and I'm waiting for that moment. God, show me your will. Lead me to the mission that you have me to do. And oftentimes, it's sitting on the couch right across the room from you. It's the kids in the bedroom right down the hall, Right? It's the cashier at the store, the person in line right behind you. It's the people in the chair right next to you. It's a city that 70% of people do not know Jesus, okay? He may not need to send you across the world right now. A little bit of a need right here, today. But we're waiting for this thing, and God sometimes calls us right where we're at. And we miss it because we're so distracted with things waiting for these huge major calls. But what God does is comes in and he calls us in these unique situations and these unique ways uh, to whom we are. And don't miss this in this story. When did God speak to him? It's when he listened. It's when he listened. It says, when he turned aside and noticed a bush burning, then it says, God spoke. Because so often we are not listening. We are so swept up in the current that this world has us running the rat race that we can't even hear the voice of God. I think God is speaking everywhere always, but we can't even hear him because we're not listening. When Moses listened, God spoke. And ask you, what has your ear? What has you so busy, so distracted, that you can't even hear God speaking to you? And the last thing he calls Moses to do, and this is kind of this cool, seems like a little weird out in the desert, a bunch of sheep watching, there's Moses. Um, says, take your sandals off. Because you're, you're and step in here in sacred ground, holy ground, it's called. And holy means to be separate or set apart. I believe what he's doing is, hey, we're going to do something, something amazing, something that's so different uh, than you're used to. But you're going to have to step out of the rut you're in. You're going to have to do this hardest thing is and step of heart, separate, okay? Again, you're called into people, so it doesn't mean separate, like, away from people. It's just in calling and mission, say, I believe I'm here for a greater cause, something great to be part of something unlikely, not just be another name in the journey of the earth, but someone that moves the kingdom. But you're going to have to step into holy ground, step apart. And that's what he calls him to, this unlikely call. Okay, Exodus 3. Okay, pretty, pretty big thing. It demands a good, honest conversation, doesn't it? 
<laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So verse 10 and 11. Come, I will send, this is God talking to Moses. I love this. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Egypt, of Israel out of Egypt? Excuse me. Okay. So God calls him, hey, we're going to go take the uh, uh, people out of Egypt. Okay. What's he saying? No. No way. And I'm going to ask for you. Okay. We don't do this. Let's give Moses some grace right now. Pharaoh is the most powerful human on the face of the planet right now. It would be like going to China and saying, hey, president, let all the Christians go. We're taking off. Come on. Do you think your answer might be no first? Oh, yeah, okay. Because you're thinking, ah, I'm going to die. This is not going to end well. So let's give Moses a little grace. But what Moses does is let fear speak. No, I can't do that. Don't you know me? I have a broken path. I, I can't do this. No way. But God speaks a better word. God speaks a better word. Verse 13. They start having this back and forth conversation. Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. He says, I, I will do what I will do. And crab, this is good. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. So Moses asked, when I go to talk to them, I think they hate me, think they're going to kill me. Um, who do I say sent me? And he says this, tell them I am, which in Hebrew is Yahweh. Yahweh sent me. And Yahweh is the highest name of God. It, it, it states he is everything. His full and absolute presence in and over all things. Yahweh. So when they would heard Yahweh, think of this, it's like the knock on the door at a, a, a clubhouse. They're in there, they're scared, they're nervous, right? They're hunkered down and the knock comes on the door and say, who is it? What's the password? Right? Yahweh. What happens in that setting? What happens? You feel <gasps> Yahweh. It's this intimacy. Yahweh? Yeah, Yahweh. Come in. Because it moved their hearts when they heard the name Yahweh. And the name Yahweh is so sacred that the Jewish scribes wouldn't even write it. And there's a lot to say about that. I really wish we could be here all morning. I tell you a lot about that. There's a lot that has impacted our faith from that act. But they didn't want to misuse the Lord's name. And so they did not write Yahweh. It's so sacred. So it's so intimate. It would have moved their hearts to say, Yahweh sent you? Yes. The next thing, when they heard the name Yahweh. Because Yahweh is a name above all names. They would have felt secure. You mean you're bringing the ultimate authority in. You're going to bring the presence of the ultimate authority into this. Yahweh? Yeah, yeah. Yahweh. <sighs> okay, we got a fighting chance then because it's Yahweh. And also they would have heard this. Yahweh sent you? Yeah, Yahweh sent us. 
And I think they'd have broke down because he's heard our cry. Our voices, our prayers that we cried out in Egypt. He heard us. Yeah, he heard you. Daddy heard you. And he's here to save you and to protect you, to rescue you. Yahweh is here. Yahweh means to them his full presence. God is saying, I have got your back. I am with you. My presence is here. Now Moses, we're starting to figure out, is kind of a scared guy. So he says, okay, okay. Then Moses answers, but behold, this is verse 1, chapter 4. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So he's saying, okay, great. I got in the name. But how are, maybe they, I just think I grabbed the name. How will they know? What would be the evidence that I was with you? And here's what God does is God said, I'm going to display to you my power. I'm going to show you my power. And he starts by, he says, you see that staff in your hand? Yeah, he does. Throw it on the ground. So he throws it on the ground and it turns into a serpent. And what does the strong Moses do? He runs. <laughs> and then God's like, get back here. Grab that thing. Oh. So he grabs the thing. It becomes a staff again. All right, cool, huh? They still won't believe you. Now, take your hand. Put it in your cloak. Now, take it out. Boom. It's white as snow with leprosy. <laughs> I can't imagine what Moses does. Like, ah, this isn't going so good, right? Um, put it back in. Take it out. Healed. He said, third, if they still won't believe you, you go to the Nile River, their river of life, and you take water. You go to dry ground, and you dump it on dry ground, and it'll become blood. What does all this mean? All these three, three things are metaphors that God was using that the Egyptians and the Hebrew people would have understood. Okay? So a serpent represents Satan, the enemies of God. Pharaoh was known as the great Satan or an enemy of God, not Satan himself, but as an enemy of God. And so when they would see this, like the serpent and the defeating of the serpent back to the staff, that Yahweh has power over the enemies of God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, God himself has power. And the whole battle in Egypt becomes a battle of God Almighty defeating all the Egyptian gods. All the plagues that you see destroys them one at a time. He has power. He has power. The leprosy represents sin and the need for healing. And God was sending a powerful message to them that I am a God that heals. I'm a God that redeems. I'm a God that renews. And all this hurt that you are there, all the pain you have endured, all these things, I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to forgive the sins, and I'm going to take you into a new place. That third thing, they got life from the Nile, but we get life from the blood, right? It's a little glimpse into Jesus Christ. Because life or blood represented life. And so when he came in and he put that blood down, they would have understood that metaphor like this is life. And there's only one name under heaven that we get life from. 
right? For us, it's Jesus Christ. For them was God the Father. He says, I'm going to take you out of this land of death and dying out to my presence into a land of eternity, of life with me. I'm going to bring life to you. And they would have understood that. And he displayed his power to them right there. One thing that pains me and hurts me uh, as I look at the landscape of church overall, we have lost a God of power. Right? We come in and, you know, we want to hear, you know, teachings, the Hebrews, the Greek, all this stuff, and, and that fills our heads up, but we don't have a God anymore of power. Acts 1.8, God says, hey, you're going to go be my witnesses, and we're going to come out, we're going to do something, and I'm going to give you power to be my witnesses. And we see in the next chapter, Acts 2, these powerful movements of God through the Holy Spirit that authenticated who God was and what he was doing. So what happens is we need to get to a place again that we believe that this God can bring life, that he can change people, that he can change us, that he can change a whole region, that he can do something that's unlikely, that's unlikely in your life and this life of this land here because we have a God of power. So as they kept doing that, Moses, well, God, you were pretty good at your job. So he turns his attention on him. It's like, huh, okay. Then it's not about you. Yahweh, you're good. You got this. But me, but Moses said in verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. What he's saying is, okay, God, you're pretty cool, but I'm not. I'm not. I can't do this, God, Here's something he missed. God never asked him to do it. If you go back up to chapter 3 and 2, where God says, hey, Moses, I'm going to do this. Moses, I'm going to do this. Moses, I'm going to do this. I'm going to send you to do that. God never said, Moses, you have to do this. It's always been about God. But Moses, in his insecurity, his doubt, and self-loathing, said, I can't do it because I don't have the gifts to do it. You know, and God says, Moses, it was never about you. Let's go back to the, what we saw happen already. It was about midwives who loved God, right? They saved those Hebrew baby boys. You know who helped lead the army of Israel out of Egypt and had to defend them in their path? It was these boys that these Hebrew midwives saved. Was Moses alone? Absolutely not. He had a mother risk everything, her own life, to protect this baby. And came up with this amazing plan. Had a sister that watched and was clever, Miriam, and said, hey, you know, let's do this thing. Uh, so had a sister involved in this. Pharaoh's daughter, God used her to set this whole thing up. He was never alone. Even when God called him to go and speak to Pharaoh, he said, I'm going to send you and the elders of Israel. Was Moses ever called to go speak to Pharaoh by himself? No, never. It was never about Moses. Him and God got in a little fight, a little tiff there. And God said, in a sense, fine. Um, your brother Aaron could speak. So he's coming. You go meet him. You tell him what to say. He'll say it. I'm going to provide for you. You are not alone. 
And as we look at the work that we have to do out in our community, our region, 70% people do not know Jesus. He's not sending you by yourself. Not sending me by myself. Romans 12 says we are members of a body. Each of us have our unique spot and role, and we will do this together. Ephesians 4 tells us that he puts a team together so the body would be built up. It's always been an us thing, never, never a me thing. And this unlikely person of Moses, what does God do? You have to turn there, but Exodus 14. What he does is God, and you know this part, walks him out of that land through the dry ground, through a, a parted Red Sea, using an unlikely person, Moses, to take him there. And God says, I will fight for you. So it's unlikely. Uh, during this season, what we're going to do is each week, we're going to have someone, an unlikely person, give you a testimony. Uh, just so you can see it, uh, what it looks like here at North Shore. And hopefully that you are inspired, uh, called in. So this week, it's me. I want to tell you about my unlikely journey with Jesus Christ. Okay, for me, as Moses was born into a broken past, that's true of me. I was born uh, in a very, very violent home. My father, my biological father, is 49 years old and a World War II veteran. My mom was 21 years old, uneducated woman, uh, had you know, lots, of, lots of kids with him. And my father um, had post-traumatic stress from the war and beat my mother violently with his hands. He beat her with things, brooms, all these things. So my memories of growing up was of an extreme, extreme violent situation. You look at Moses, like him, right? Violence all around him. Well, that was my upbringing. To come through that in my childhood was all about poverty. We were extremely poor and all that that means. And, and I say this, and I'll tell you the details. Some, I, I don't know how many brothers and sisters I have. You know, living with us at that time was uh, nine, I think. And I know of about 13 and just two years ago. I'll tell you a story sometime. I just found out there's a new one. Um, so that's just my world. And so that family, uh, growing up in that childhood, there was abuse and every kind of abuse you can imagine. Horrible things that my eyes have seen and experienced of abuse in every kind of the way growing up. And so no faith, no God, just that journey. And so... Very, very unlikely anything would happen. So you settle into that storyline. I'm just that. I'm the throwaway kid. Scotty was my name back then. Um, that's, that's my birth name, Scotty. Um, Scotty's just sidelined. There's nothing important going to happen in Scotty's life. I'm just going to try to survive this thing because it's, it's not fun. Um, but God had a better word, right? I got an unlikely calling. So I worked hard, got myself to Eastern Washington University. I was married at the time. I was a non-traditional student. That means you're married. Had a child. So Sandy and I and our first daughter were in Eastern Washington University. And someone I'd met years before invited me, who did not grow up around church, in church or anything, to a Christian event in Boise, Idaho. I was in Cheney, Washington living. Um, so I said, yes, he's a good dude. Um, so off we went. And 
To give you a little picture of the mindset I was in, we drove my Toyota Corolla, me and this guy, and our goal was to see how fast we can get it going. And I'm, I don't know if I'm proud. I'm not sure what the kids are here. I can say this. I was proud. We got that Toyota Corolla to 115 miles per hour, right? Uh, and we were flying in that little thing. It was shaking and everything. And we were listening uh, to Eric Clapton's song, Cocaine. You guys uh, just blasted. So we're screaming that out, driving 115 miles an hour to this Christian thing that, you know, somebody invited him to, right? I've never been to a Christian thing, you know. I didn't know it. So it was something called Promise Keepers, okay? Some of you older people, yeah, your kids are saying, why are they going, hmm, because it's kind of a cool thing. Um, and so I end up down there, and I'm in a baseball field in Boise, Idaho. And I'm sitting there you know, watching this thing transpire, and something starts stirring. <sighs> it stirred. And a guy named Wellington Boone was a speaker. And he basically said, you know why you're here. You come up. I'm just sitting there, man. It was like gravity stopped. He's like, something. You know, I was like, Whoa. you know, you just feel like, what in the world? What is this? And I looked at my buddy and said, I don't get this, but I can't stay. I got to go. And I literally, I jumped over the outside uh, fence because we we're up in the outfield, I guess. And I ran. And I dropped on my knees. How do you know what to say? It's like, uh, okay, now what? I just looked up, I remember, and said, here I am. And God gave me a vision I can see today. And he, he spoke to me and he says, now I'm going to use you. So that night, we went back to the house we were staying and going to leave the next morning. And I called my wife, Sandy, and talked to her. She said, well, how'd it go? And I said, this is, I don't know. I don't know, but I know this. Everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. Um, and everything changed from that day forward. Um, we went back up there, kind of finished our Eastern experience, but there is a stirring deep in my heart for the things of Jesus. And we walked it out. And, and so it led us to a path. We ended up moving back to our hometown, Colville, Washington. Um, and we were there, and the church that we started to attend in gave me this crazy tap on the shoulder. Say, we've been watching you, and we think that you should be our next youth pastor. These guys knew about my path. This is my hometown. I said, what? Me? Yeah. So I stepped aside, started going to Liberty University Extension into Cascade Bible College and ultimately ended up in Trinity Western Seminary, uh, a journey in that journey uh, of walking. After Colville a while, went to Orcas Island for 15 years there before coming here five and a half years ago. And so with that is very, very unlikely. You know, unlikely, I'll just state this, I'm watching the time. I, there's so much details of the story. But of the uh, 13 kids, uh, I was the second youngest. I was the first one to make it into high school, just to give you an idea of the environment uh, we grew up in. But God was doing a work in me and, and calling me to a place. So we got there. So it's interesting is... When the elders approached me, and I'm going to invite the band to come up now. When the elders approached me about saying, hey, we would like you to go through uh, the application process for the lead pastor position. Uh, many of you heard the story, but prior to that, I was like, no, I don't, I don't want that. I want to step aside. I want to pick the next guy. Man, I was hoping Andy Stanley would apply. Like, come on, let's do that. I mean, I'm like, oh, let's, let's get the superstar. Let's get these people in here. Let's go. Um, so when they came to me and said, hey, we are getting a sense of something. We want you to go through the process. 
And so I started doing that. And God took me to this very text. It's why this text is the first of this series. God took me right here and I was just looking at this text. And he was speaking to me through it. Uh, just unlikely, just unlikely, it's unlikely. And so when the elders came back, went through the process, and they said, Scott, we want you to be our next senior pastor or lead pastor. You tell us what you want your title to be, okay? Um, uh, I asked him this question, and it's right out of this text. Because here's something you have to know about me. I am not motivated by money or title. I'm motivated by one thing, and that is the kingdom of heaven being moved. I want my life to count for Jesus Christ, and that's it. I could be the janitor at North Shore Christian Church, and if the kingdom meter moves, I'm happy and content, okay? Um, it's just who I am, and uh, because of that past, I only want to see kingdom movement. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to play church. I want to see God move, okay? Um, and so, thank you. Um, So they offered me the position, say, do you accept? It was a word. And thinking of this text, I said, I want to know, did God tell you to hire me? And I was thinking, did Yahweh send you? Did Yahweh send you? And they said, yes. I said, no. I need to hear it from each one of you. And we were on the table. I said, did God tell you to hire me? Yes. And I was thinking, I'm this text, did Yahweh send you? Because I, I don't want anything other than what God wants. I said, did God tell you to hire me? Yeah. Did, amen. Thank you, bro. Yeah. Here's one of the answers. Did God tell you? Did God tell you? Did God tell you? If Yahweh sent me, you to me, then the answer is yes, I'll be this. And it has nothing, nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. Okay? That's where it was. Okay? Because I know this. Okay, I am incomplete. I'm just a human. And what God did to Moses is, Moses, I've never sent you alone. This is not a me thing, will never be. As soon as it becomes a me thing, you fire my tail. Okay? <laughs> really? No, really. Get rid of me. Get rid of me. If you start seeing this about me, get rid of me fast. Okay? It's not a me thing, it's a we thing. Okay? It's that staff. It's every one of you going into your neighborhoods and your places, this unlikely places, and being a city on a hill, being salt and light, bringing the love of Jesus Christ to your places. It's you sitting in your living room like Zach and Amber and living this faith out. That's where it's at. That's where this is at. So we have partners, and that's what God has done. So I'm going to walk in this with my brothers and sisters called North Shore Christian Church to do the work he has for us to do to move the meter of the kingdom so people would come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and be in eternity with him. That should be our motivation, right? And so I want to say this, okay? ask you a question. What are the unlikely elements in your life? What are the unlikely elements? You say, no, 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 it's just too broken. I've been so far from God. I've just been out in the desert. No way. It's just unlikely God would ever draw this heart. Maybe it's your family. Yeah, you're doing church, but man, it's, your family's just broke. It's just broke. It seems unlikely that God would do a movement there. It's a work. So there's no way God's going to use me here. You know how these people talk, what they talk about? 
there's no way God's going to do anything here. Seems unlikely. Seattle, no way. We're just going to keep dropping statistics. Now he'll, he'll, he'll move in Georgia, Tennessee, right? The Bible Belt, that's where God's alive and active. Not Seattle, not Everett, not Muckleteo, not Lake Stevens. No way. Marysville, absolutely not, right? Come on, right? Right? It seems unlikely. But that's exactly what God does. And what he does is he's going to start in your very heart to say, what's unlikely? Let me light this bush on fire and have a conversation with you. And I want to talk to your heart. So I'm going to invite our ministry team up. And our ministry team are people here just to pray for you. And they're going to be up here from now on. From now on, they'll be up here. Because here's what I believe. Strong statement coming. That it's spiritual malpractice to come bring this powerful word of God that it tells us will not come back void and not give an opportunity for you to respond. So up here is a ministry team. They're going to be available for prayer. There's people back there if you're uncomfortable coming forward. And I want to ask you, okay, what's unlikely? What element are you struggling with? It might be something I said today, something you heard in Moses' story, but it more likely not something that you came here with. And it may be something that's plaguing you for years or just this morning. What's unlikely? What is unlikely that you need to say, God, I'm going to trust you with it? Because he wants to use ordinary people to do extraordinary works in God, and that starts with a heart that says yes to him and the little things. So I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray that God would stir in your heart and you would say yes to Jesus. And maybe it's a yes for the very first time ever. Say yes, Jesus. I'm going to believe that you are my Lord and Savior, that you have got power to change everything, that you have defeated sin in my life, in the world's life, and you've called me into new life with you. And I say yes to you, Jesus. I'm going to drop my pride and say yes to you. You might need to say, you know what? this hurdle in my heart, this thing in my family. I'm saying enough is enough. I'm going to give it to you, God. And you step out. Come pray. Pray there. Pray there. Uh, God loves you. And I want to invite all of you to say, North Shore, let's be an unlikely place to do an extraordinary work for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I love you, North Shore.